Welcome to the seventh episode of Who's Editing? A Thought Experiment, in which my guests and I appoint ourselves editors of a comic book line at DC Comics. The joke's on us, though, because we can only use the characters of a specific issue of Who's Who, and in fact, must use them. I'll let you in on all the rules, but first let's welcome my guests with which to create a line of books based on Who's Who number seven, including four pages devoted to the Doom Patrol, so I thought who better than Paul Hicks from the Waiting for Doom podcast to sit in with me. Hi, Paul. And this isn't actually the first time you've been on the show, is it? Uh, no, I, I crashed in for a second on, uh, I think it was the first episode where I, yeah, I came up with an awesome idea for Animal Man, and then I just disappeared. I was... I was in a manic mood that time. Just a little a taste. Yeah, a little appetizer. And then, you know, here I am for the main the main course. An amuse-bouche, mm. if you will. <laughs> uh, were there any challenges in this one? I, I think this one is kind of challenging in some areas. Well, no, it was actually, you know, the ideas just kept coming. That was the hardest thing, was so many ideas. It was like, um, you know, that Sandman comic where the guy gets cursed with too many ideas and he starts writing on the walls with his fingers. So it was It was like that. I, I, that was the main problem, was just sorting through the the dozens and dozens of ideas I had for every single character. I, I'm sure you found it the same. I'm not even sure if you're sarcastic or not, but there, there are so many heroic entries in this yeah. that I think this is one of the biggest uh, episodes that, that we've done. Uh, and it's got a lot of Legion content, and I think that this is always kind of tough when there's like a smattering of Legionnaires, mm. and you wonder how you're going to put them in the, the line mm, yes but you know I'm, I'm creative i i do a lot of it you know you know my podcasts they're all heavily scripted and uh, intensively researched so you know you know what you're in for <laughs> so one more time here are the rules each episode of who's editing will go by uh, our line of books must include a monthly series for every hero character or team featured we can give a villain or some other entry its own series if we absolutely feel the need to but we can only name a single villain from the issue to receive that honor and so imagine we're coming back from some crisis or other we've got dcocd <laughs> and uh, we get to reboot characters or Use any continuities version. It's really up to us. Titles don't have to match the entries. Note that each of us are pitching uh, our own ideas. So we'll sort of end up with two possible lines of books. And listeners, you decide which books you want to read. And we'll play that a little experiment as well. Uh, we've each got like five bucks in our pockets in our respective currencies. <laughs> and we get to buy from the other person's line. So tell me, Paul, mm. did you have a strategy going into this uh sheer blind panic yes <laughs> this was a lot of i mean i've been thinking about this for a month this podcast and um yeah it's uh, i treated it a bit like assignment um so when i was back at school the approach would be you know week one do nothing week two uh think about it week three uh write down the headings of the characters uh week four start writing down some ideas uh Week five, cross out those ideas and write new ideas. So, yeah, that's what I did. Okay. And so right now we're at the point where you slip it under the teacher's door. Yeah, yeah. yeah sweet, sweet A. My line actually hangs on the Doom Patrol. Oh. Uh, I did have a strategy going to this uh, because the Doom Patrol has three different entries in the book. So I'm introducing the concept of the Doom, uh, which is a word that represents every crisis, invasion, countdown, or what have you. They're all dooms. And because my DC Universe has finally put these big super-involved events behind it, so you can finally lay DCOCD to rest, <laughs> my company, my version of the company, promises a, mor a moratorium on such things, but not on big epic storylines. Oh. Because the universe periodically gets sick and wants to go into crisis mode. And so we'll have heroes whose mission it is to stab off the doom, to make sure things don't go out of control. Superheroes are kind of the multiverse's antibodies, created during a time of possible crisis. Now, not every hero is aware of the coming doom, but it exists. It's out there. It's in one shape or another. Uh, it's coming to get us. And I've got several books that address the situation and many that don't. So I wouldn't say that all my, my entire line is under that same umbrella, but some of it is. And this is a, a force in my DC universe. Mm. I had to do something about the Legion of Superheroes because I didn't want to have a future story. I wanted to, um, I wanted to have uh, present-day stories and uh, historical stories. I didn't want to have everyone set in the future. And because there are so many Legionnaires, they had to get rid of them into the present day or back further. So I had some sort of – there's some sort of time 
thing that happened and they all sort of got a few of them got killed but they didn't really get killed they got spat back in time so you know that's part of that well we'll see as it happens yeah with this issue seven of who's who we have to include a minimum of 19 books in our line and a maximum of 20 paul i'm gonna hand it off to you first and we'll do a bit of back and forth in entry order Mm -hmm. Uh, but we'll keep our bonus villain series if we have one yep For the end. So it all starts with Doctor 13, as everything must. I think we've come across this problem in several discussions about Doctor 13 on different podcasts, that he he's really, really an idiot, because he keeps saying things don't exist that clearly do in the universe around him, and he's, you know, stubborn. And I, I start to think, what if that isn't a bug, it's a feature? And, um, you know, he's smug, he's condescending, he's a skeptic, he investigates the weird for some reason, because he doesn't believe in it, which is quite... Um, un- you know, quite petty. Um, and he basically has supernatural debunking adventures. But the reason he has these adventures is because he has a superpower that basically nullifies anything supernatural. So um, he's never finding it, the supernatural to exist because he is basically um, thwarting it whenever he comes into contact with it. So, you know, a ghost might suddenly turn into a person in a mask. You know, a monster might turn into, you know, a tree. Things like that. So he, he, you know, he thinks there's no um, supernatural in the world. But, I mean, one of the interesting things is the forces of good and evil in the, in the supernatural realm are very aware of what he is and what he can do. And they basically try to um, trick each other into interacting with him. So any side that uh, tries to use him enders, ends up losing their supernatural powers. Basically, he's like Gru the Wanderer, so, you know, everyone will try to use him in their clever <laughs> plans, but he will basically destroy all their plans and make fools of them, etc. But I, th- I thought he needs someone to talk to, so as he does this. So I thought perhaps there's a demon who became a human in the course of interacting with him and quite enjoys being a, a human, um, and I came up with the name Abby Normal as that person's character so um you know a bit of a young frankenstein ripoff there but yeah i think it's in the spirit of the book and it's going to be you know fairly silly i mean perhaps he could turn up in our universe later as someone who makes everyone go oh no he's here he's going to ruin all everything but i i thought if this was a comic i'd probably want it to be written by someone like gail simone with maybe art by aaron lepresti someone sort of grounded but uh, talented so yeah. What have you got? Well, it's very similar because what you described, I mean, in terms of premise, because what you described is, to me, kind of semi-autobiographical. I've talked about this before on uh, Panel by Panel, but when I was in university, people actually asked me to go to their homes to exercise spirits because I presumably, in their minds, had a an anti-supernatural power. Uh, <laughs> like I'd put my finger on the edge of a Ouija board and the thing would stop, stuff like that. Right. Uh, which is true. It, it happened, but you know, it's all in their minds. But of course, I'd say that because I'm a Doctor Thirteen. So, the, <laughs> so his problem is basically, to, yeah, in a shared uni- superhero universe, what have you never met the Spectre or Doctor Fate or Dead Man? Or you know, it's like uh, it's kind of impossible. So I have the same explanation. He's got an anti super, like he's a, a supernatural dead zone. Yeah. Just like I am, just like your Doctor Thirteen is, <laughs> so he can dispel magic and ghosts and demons with his anti-belief, and uh, so it's not debunking the supernatural; it just can't exist in his presence. Same thing. Wow. Uh, but the crux of the series for me, and I mean, it's kind of the same where the forces, the supernatural forces, want to fight back, but they have to lay non-supernatural traps for him, you know, because <laughs> they they can't actually. Yeah, it's sort of the same. But instead of my uh, having like a sidekick character. I think they might try, the supernatural forces might try to get him through his rebellious teenage daughter, Tracy. Ah, yeah. So I want to include Tracy 13 in this. And she's the one that, she's at home dabbling in magic when he's not around. Well, necessarily when he's not around. So he's got a daughter who's deep into the occult. So I want to do a little bit of a, like a suburban dad-daughter conflict with that, you know, with that kind of thing where she might have released... <laughs> demons into the ether and then he has to hunt them down prove they don't exist yeah you know, that kind of stuff sort of like uh inspector gadget and penny sure yeah so we're very 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 close on this it's almost like that's the fix for dr 13 that's has to be that well he's kind of stupid otherwise isn't he <laughs> kind of i mean as he's very blind or you have to set him in like a separate universe he can't be mainstream dc universe he's got to be 
like on real Earth or something. Well, I mean, if he if he had that power, then the Spectre and uh, Phantom Stranger would avoid him like the plague. So you know, I guess that makes more sense then. It, it would explain like all the Phantom Stranger stories where the Phantom Strangers like punching dudes out. Yeah, it's because Terry Thirteen's close by, and so he has to resort to fisticuffs rather than mystic arts. Yeah. Next up is Dollman. I set mine in the contemporary era, not the golden age. Uh, Daryl Dane for me is a six inch James Bond going on crazy missions and flirting with Martha Roberts, who in the actual universe uh, was fated to become doll girl. Mm-hmm. She's money penny in this. Right. So he was caught in an evil mastermind's trap that shrunk him down permanently. It just hasn't smothered his spirits or anything. Or, and I say permanently, but almost as a wink to the bond mythology, doll man returns to full size one out of every seven hours so for this, I want a like a slightly bananas 007 plots kind of stuff with the added complication that while Dollman may, may, may like uh, to walk around in a tuxedo, or use his charm on the ladies, uh, he often has to be doing that <laughs> as a very short man. So he's got to fake being a fully grown man. And when he is full grown, he just has an hour to, to play Baccarat and leave. Of course, it's set in the DC universe, so the gold fingers and the odd jobs can be like semi-forgotten would-be world conquerors and super scientists and deformed brutes from DC Stable, or even better, I would mind the old quality comics for like these really, really obscure characters. Mm. What about you? Yeah, not too different. Imagine a guy like Bear Grylls, okay? So, yeah, you know, a, an adventurer and a highly capable guy. And he works for a, a pharmaceutical company, and he's like the head of security. And um, basically, there's a, someone breaks in and tries to sabotage things, and he ends up being shrunk. And he basically is the first successfully shrunk person uh, that this company has been re- researching. So they're basically – imagine, if you will, uh, a big company that's evil. Can you can you do that? I know it's a real stretch in the world, but um, – mm. Okay, I got it. Yeah, okay. They're looking at shrinking people because they are heavily invested in the prison industry and what makes imprisoning people cheaper, making them smaller. Yeah, so he's basically the first success that they've had. He's on the run. Um, He's teamed up with like a hippie who um, broke in and tried to sabotage things. He's stuck at the size of a G.I. Joe figure or a Star Wars figure, if you will. And I guess it's like a a buddy movie. So, uh, you know, let's root for the little guy. I mean, he doesn't get big in mind. He just uh, he's small the entire time. But everyone wants him. So he's sort of like the six inch fugitive or that sort of thing. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Next up is Dolphin. What would you do with Dolphin? Is she your Aquaman or is she something else entirely? I went with the something else. I mean, I've, I think I've always hated the fact that Dolphin was a blank slate and um, people just thought, okay, she's a blank slate, so let's impute uh, tri- attributes to her. And they always couldn't get past the sexy bit. Like she's, you know, you know, Peter David thought he was being incredibly clever when she thought, oh, Dolphins are promiscuous, so we'll make her promiscuous. And I don't think his creativity went further than the uh, story title, Single Wet Female. But, you know, she's never had a definite <laughs> anything. So, you know, she doesn't have who she, you know, what race is she? You know, she's just a hot white girl underwater, which um, I don't think works very well. So I wanted to give her a definite ethnicity and a, and a task. And I thought, well, in I've been listening to a lot of Midnight Oil. And if you do that, you are basically uh, you're bombarded with messages about the unfairness of the, the plight of the uh, indigenous Australians. And I thought, well, OK, let's make her an indigenous Australian. So a little black girl. She has basically travelled back in time, by unknown means, to fix what's wrong in Australia today. So, you know, if you look at the plight of Indigenous Australians today, there's we've had basically genocide in Tasmania. We've had, um, you know, people stolen from their um, parents and raised separately. You know, so everything's a mess. Canada's the same. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the, around the world everyone can relate to this. So I thought, what if she was, you know, travelling back in time to 1770, to prevent Captain Cook from reporting his discovery of Australia. So basically, it's a sort of action-adventure comic, and she can swim underwater, which, you know, uh, and stay there for a long time, which gives her advantages. But basically, she has to sort of um, rally the forces of the people ar- around, you know, what was to become New South Wales. And I saw this as probably, you know, the, the jewel in my crown of stories, and it, you could 
do something really big and, and exciting with this where, you know, she's ambushing the expeditionary forces, but also coming to terms with the fact that, you know, her simplistic idea of killing Captain Cook, you know, is that realistic? And, you know, she maybe she imprisons um, the botanist Joseph Banks and makes him an ally and, you know, starts to question her ruthlessness and what she wants to do. And, uh, yeah, but you can tie in all this historical stuff about, um, you know, Cook's ship getting uh, ground, grounded on the Great Barrier Reef and, uh, you know, stranded there for six weeks and things like that. So I thought it could be, you know, something to heavily research, but um, something that would matter. And, uh, you know, as far as a character goes, she previously, I don't think she's mattered. She's just, you know, been a, a sidekick for other people and, you know, her story has been so shallow. I mean, there is no great dolphin story, <laughs> let's face it, is there? No, not really. Yeah. Although I haven't checked out showcase number 79 recently or anything so maybe like after that one story there's just nothing mine is more white bread for sure like dave stevens is sadly no longer with us but this page is killer and i wanted my (laughs) dolphin series to have a comparable style right i don't see her as an aquaman type i don't uh like epic stories and that's not what we're doing but rather it's an intimate story uh, about a small californian beach community that has their own local heroine, and it's her. Uh, we build a real supporting cast that's rife with slightly weird soap opera opportunities. We got mysteries surrounding the history of Mercy Reef. Why not repurpose that name? Think Beach Blanket Bingo meets Baywatch with a real live mermaid. And the thing I really picked up on is the fact that she uses sign language, which uh, makes more sense underwater than trying to speak with water in your mouth. Mm. So my artists will have to be good at drawing hands because I want that as a part of the art. Uh, There'd be translation in script, but we would do her as not deaf mute, but at least mute and using sign language, which I think would be an interesting feature and something we don't see a lot of. We don't see a lot of disabled heroes in the first place not disabled heroes where the disability yeah i mean it's like daredevil's blind but he's not really you know so so where the disability is actually part of the story so that would be part of my dolphin but it would be a very kind of a silly soap opera romance comic uh, you know light on super heroics really kind of story maybe like an eye zombie or something in Mm -hmm. in terms of tone yeah so we basically came up with the same thing only you could have come up with an australian twist on it (laughs) which is why it's important to do these commonwealth specials um next up was don caballero or caballero right two l's in spanish could be caballero he's dc's answer to zorro so i wanted him drawn by today's answer to alex toth whatever that would be you know nice noir shadows pulpy action the entry is interesting because it mentions desert pirates a swordsman's ghost, and criminals with code names. So I wanted to lean into that kind of weirdness. Don Caballero should have like a two-gun mojo kind of vibe that Jonah Hex had in Vertigo. Bit of the supernatural, a bit of steampunk, supervillains, but through an old West filter. My version has a mask and a secret identity, which this guy doesn't seem to have here. Uh, I want him just more Zorro-like. Copies in Spanish will also simultaneously be available for Hispanophones in the United States and elsewhere DC Comics are sold. So this is kind of my, like, who's going to buy a Zorro comic these days or like, Mm. no, fake Zorro. I'm doing like what a comic book company likes to do and, you know, send out press releases and there's a gimmick. But I think the gimmick is worthwhile. The gimmick is like to me as a French speaking minority in Canada, I, I feel a kinship with Spanish-speaking minorities were often kind of majorities in their areas in mm-hmm. the United States, and that the the U.S. does not respect the fact that they are a bilingual country, whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. So that that is my little political nugget, or uh, <laughs> the thing that my DC Comics will do for that community. And you know what? Maybe bring in some readers. I well, I had so many ideas for Don Caballero. I thought perhaps he could open a like a. a a shop or a diner and you know just uh have him in the present day and it's just a place that people can hang out and he uh, gives them you know little pearls of wisdom at different times or i thought we could team him up with another hero later in the book and uh, you maybe do something with that so do i hang on to that idea till we get to the other hero or okay because it's uh, okay there's another hero in this issue where they're connected so okay no well no let's keep it for that for okay. that other hero, who I imagine I know who maybe it is, or maybe I don't. <laughs> I guess my question is, for that first part of the series until they connect, is it kind of like uh, like Warriors or something? You know, like 
what are these stories set in this restaurant? Are you playing it like, is it Cheers or Alice or? It would probably be Beverly Hills 90210. So it's like the peach pit. All right. Okay. Well, let's wait for the big reveal. I like your idea better at this point. I mean, it's, it's at least standalone. Here we are on page eight and we hit the first of two Doom Patrol entries. Each of us are going to have two Doom Patrol books. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what it means. Yeah. So this is your expertise. Okay, so there's two approaches that I, I mean personally I'm you know I'm drenched in Doom Patrol. That's the problem with me. I've you know I've I've drunk too much Doom Patrol. I've you know I've swum too deep in the Doom Patrol waters. So for that reason, I just can't come up with a take that uh, I think is worthy of it because I mean uh, Doom Patrol tends to um, not be what you expect at any time. So I, I thought there's two options here. One, we could do like a anthology series where everyone gets to tell their Doom Patrol story because I mean for a team that's as beloved as they are not many people have got to tell Doom Patrol stories and I know there's you know uh, creators out there who you know visually and story-wise have their take and they want to do them. You know I think we need an option to explore every nook and cranny of the team with an anthology story you know we can get the great hot hands story finally and uh, as an ongoing if we were going to do something moving the team forward i think you've got to really focus on the tragedy of the team so you know there's so many bad things that have happened to the team so why not do something else and let's do another uh, bad thing so i would start by killing cliff Steele and then building the story around his absence because he's been the core of every single version of the Doom Patrol. As we know, killing doesn't mean gone, just means, you know, retired for a bit. So I would sort of have the team coming together, but, you know, the survivors of all the different iterations of the Doom Patrol basically joining together because Cliff is gone and they want to do something about it to, to you know, recover him or save him if he can be saved. So, you know, it's not a brilliant idea, but uh, it's probably because I'm... I'm too close to the sun, if you know what I mean, with uh, Doom Patrol. I wouldn't object to a Legends of the Doom Patrol book. So many eras. Yeah. Especially now that they're on TV, and it's not like it's not like they're no-names anymore. Yeah. To the mainstream public. We'd call it My Greatest Adventure, I think, just as in a nod to the past. Okay, yeah. My first Doom Patrol book is called, in deference to you, my guest, Waiting for Doom. I, I called it Waiting <laughs> for Doom. And it's basically the adventures of the Golden Age Doom Patrol, a Golden Age Doom Patrol, but it's not a wartime book. I think there's been a lot of that. We've seen the Golden Age, the wartime Golden Age a lot. So I'm going to attempt a post-1945 story. The Nazis lost the war, but they unleashed a lot of energies that could cause extinction-level events. And never mind that the Americans are unlocking the secrets of the atom. One man, the chief has had visions of the future, and he's built a team to stave off Armageddon. Basically, it's, you know, airplane pilot, negative man, unstable former movie star, Elastigirl. For a while, I thought, oh, do I replace Cliff Steele with Robert Crane, the first robot man? But no, I'm going to keep Cliff Steele. This is the, like the original team. It's just taking place a little earlier in the timeline, like in the late 40s, early 50s. At the birth of the Atomic Age, the world is recuperating from war, Nazis are escaping justice, they're causing problems, there's a good dollop of 1950s B-movie tropes for good measure, and every threat they stop seems like it's the, the big one, but Niles Calder insists it's not. They're waiting for the doom that I was talking mm. about in the introduction, and everything seems to be a doom, but it's not quite the doom yet, because the mission never stops. So every time it's like Niles is going to pull a, uh, no, that wasn't it. It's like, oh, God, geez, we got to <laughs> keep doing it. So that's, that's my, so my, my first one is really like a, a period piece for the original Doom Patrol. Then my second one, the team is still trying to stab off the Doom in the contemporary era. And uh, we must be getting closer to the big one that the chief foresaw because things are getting weirder and weirder. So this is the the Morrison Doom Patrol, if you will. Uh, Robot Man, Negative Man, who's now Rebus, are still in the team. So is the Chief. He's the he's a head in a jar. I'm keeping that. Uh, this is definitely, you know, that era. That just pre-Vertigo. But, you know, at the same time, you can think of Rachel Pollux. You can think of Keith Giffens. You can think of Gerard Ways. They're all that kind of weird Doom Patrol mix. I want Crazy Jane. I want Flex Mentalo. I want Danny, the whatever he is right now. I want... I want Ambush Bug, why not? It might even be neat to do something like weirdo versions of Karma or Hot Hands as well. <laughs> and the kind of weird-ass threats from those writers' series. And I also want to see versions of crossover events from past continuity 
So the Doom Patrol is the team that in this continuity deals with the various crises, legends, millenniums, invasions, Armageddon's, 2001's, Zero Hours, even a version of Genesis. <laughs> uh, because it's a chance to do those stories like in a more self-contained way. And in most cases, make them good. Make them have a point. <laughs> Imagine like the Doom Patrol version of Genesis. What that would be like. A lot cooler and interesting and weird than it actually was in, in our, you know, instead of making it a big crossover that's kind of a mess, it's a lot more like what Morrison was doing with JLA, you know, in, in a way. So that's what I would do with my Doom Patrols. I would have a classic flavor and I would have the, the Morrison, the weird flavor. We'd have two books that kind of work as a sequel one to the other, but things get weirder in the second series, obviously. I would sort of lean away from the weirdness aspects of the Doom Patrol, because I think they've just been drenched in weirdness a bit too much in the last you know, few decades. So, you know, to have it more sort of standard. But, I mean, I would love to evolve the villains of the Doom Patrol into the present day. So, uh, you know, the Grant Morrison run basically created all new villains, and they've rarely shown what the classic villains are like in uh, sort of the new uh, version, apart from Malor and the Brain, of course. Um, so I'd, I'd just like to see a more, uh, I guess, mature, realistic take on, you know, some of these weird, crazy villains of the past, uh, space villains and things like that. So You know, what happens when, when General Immortus grows up, for example? More scheming and more... You see a bit of that in Volume 5, but yeah, I, yeah, that's exactly the sort of thing. I, I, you know, I want to progress some of the old ideas into the future, which um, I don't think they've done. But yeah, I haven't really got a strong take just because, you know, I don't know much about the Doom Patrol. I've never really thought much about them. I had the same problem in the previous episode where, you know, I've read every Dial H story, so then I had to think up of a new Dial H story. Mm. It's like, well, all the good takes have been done. I, you know, I can't, I can't beat my favorite runs. Yeah. And the same was true of, like, the demon and Dr. Fate. So I had that real problem in issue six. Yeah. So I totally get it. Um, <laughs> okay, well, here's our first uh, Legion character. First of, I think, four. Dream Girl. What's your book? Mm, well, I mean, the, the disaster in the future that sort of wiped her out. Everyone thinks she's dead. She's gone. It actually blasted her back in time. And she is basically living in people's dreams. The trouble is she knows what's coming in the future and she wants to prevent it. So, you know, can someone in dreams influence disparate people to come together to solve, you know, to fight something that's going to end for disaster in the, in the you know, 30th century? So, you know, there's some scientific discoveries and, you know, decisions being made now. And, you know, can she get some regular people from different backgrounds and diversities across the world to all come together if you can only influence them by what dreams they have. So, you know, it's a bit of a, um, a puzzle that she has to put together. You know, we would only ever see her her thoughts. So, you know, she's not a physical presence. If you're trying to influence people in dreams, what compelling dreams? What make people change their approach to things? You know, people were be battling with, you know, is this massive you know, conspiracy paranoia that I'm feeling that's coming from inside me instead of Facebook or YouTube. So thought something like that. When these people finally come together, that's when she becomes a physical presence again. I like it. You know, I was a big fan of, what was it called? Like, there was a new, new universe book called, I want to say like Shadow Mask or something. Night Mask. Where the protagonist was in dreams, a bit like Sandman or like the, at least the Joe Simon Sandman. Night Mask. Anyway, I enjoy that. For me, if the 40s and the 2020s were hotspots for the doom actually occurring, so is the 31st century. So I don't mind having series taking place in that time frame. Uh, Dream Girl heads a book called Dream Patrol. She basically <laughs> blows the Legion apart after she gets one of her prophetic dreams. Like the chief, she sees it coming, but not everyone believes her. Uh, she leaves and she brings some legionnaires with her to that Dream Patrol and they become the 31st century's answer to the Doom Patrol. Uh, also dealing with extinction level events and those alternate versions of crossover events I was talking about. You know, we can set some of those in the future, just more on a galactic scale. Darkseid, the Time Trapper, the Infinite Man, Mordru, they're all trying to cause the Doom in some way. The team roster would include Starboy, of course, her sister, White Witch, and so Block. And she was also most friendly and canonically with uh, Chameleon Boy, Sensor Girl, and Saturn Girl. So I'd have those. The Legion goes on. 
you know, separately somewhere uh, with Polar Boy as leader, but it's as chaotic a term as the 5YL timeline described it. So this is like sort of in the background. The Legion is struggling because so many members left and older Legionnaires are retiring and the, you know, Polar Boy gets not so great replacements and the Dream Patrol is stealing their thunder, you know, saving their space bacon. And so... It's all thanks to Dream Girl's precognitive abilities. So suddenly it's the premier team of the future. After Dream Girl, we get Duo Damsel. So we're still <laughs> in the Legion. Yeah. So the best version of Duo Damsel for me was the reboot's triad. So I'm, I'm using that model. For those who don't know, the way she was played in that continuity is that each of the three selves have a different personality. There's an impulsive party girl, there's a shy wallflower, and there's a capable middle ground. I call this book... Love in Triplicate, and it features an early Legion era. It's not, it's not the, it's not 31st. I guess it's the 30th century still. So an early Legion era Luornu having romantic adventures with three boys. Superboy is a long distance relationship across time. Bouncing Boy is a sweet awkward romance for the shy triplet, and then the party girl is all over the place. Toxic relationships, bad boys. And the like. So there's some light crime fighting, but really this is about how the three sisters manage their love lives. It's a fun book, and I do have an interest in like romance adjacent comics. This is actually my second one with Dolphin in a way. So what happens to Duo Damsel in your continuity? I guess she gets time tossed. She does get time tossed. So she ends up, I guess, in the late 60s and um, sort of integrates herself into society and becomes a spy. I guess one identity, two agents, and uh, so that's a real advantage in a spy situation. So she can suddenly become, you know, two people in the in a situation when things are, are hot in the Cold War. I guess I wanted to have some mystery in it and basically have, uh, you know, she's fighting a force, and it turns out it's her third triplicate body that's out there <gasps> on the other side. Gasp! So I thought something, you know, a espionage thriller, sort of Ed Brubakery, uh, Michael Lark type stuff. So, you know, in the in the realm of Velvet and, you know, lots of action and surprises and things like that. Yeah, really cool. Was her belt an inspiration at all for that? <laughs> well, it does It does look 70s. You know, she's like sort of an Emma Peel in the picture, yeah, in absolutely. a way, you know? Yeah. Never two without three, as we say in French. <laughs> I don't know what the English equivalent of that expression is. Things always seem to go in threes. But Duplicate Boy. Duplicate Boy gets a half page here, and he's also from the Legion's future, but he's not even a Legionnaire. So this may be one of the tougher ones to figure out. What did you have in mind? Well, his power is he can duplicate someone's powers. And I thought, you know, if being a superhero is anything like being a professional in the real world. So, you know, people want to have holidays. They want to go on breaks. They want to, you know, sort of just leave everything for a while and go away. So I would have him. He's like a locum to the superheroes. Locum. A person who stands in temporarily for someone else of the same profession, especially a cleric or doctor. Where um, he's been time tossed, but you know he's not bright enough to do much more than imitate people's powers. So he, you know, comes up and duplicates their powers and then fills in for them while they're away. And you know, obviously, the more challenging heroes or the more driven heroes wouldn't use his locum service because they, you know, they don't want to take a break. You know, Batman doesn't go on holidays. But, you know, some of the lesser heroes probably do. So he would get to sort of tour around the, the DC universe, get into sort of mishaps and hot water by, you know, not really knowing how to use powers that he suddenly has and deal with the, you know, familiar foes that he's not familiar with. So I, I thought something like that. So he could, you know, just fill in for people and, you know, let them have a holiday. Super temp. Yeah, if it's not a holiday, like Superman goes out into space on a mission. Yeah. Duplicate boy can stay behind, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, I really like that. And You can also highlight the absurdity of some heroes and the fact that, you know, they're, the way they deal with things is it's just perpetual, that their villains are always around and they're always doing the same thing with the same villains. And, you know, he would give you a chance to, you know, do a completely different take with them and, uh, you know, do the opposite of what the hero would do when facing them. I did mention he wasn't a legionnaire, but he, in my continuity, he did believe Dream Girl when, uh, because he duplicated her powers and so he saw the doom uh, but he doesn't necessarily trust in her methods is my pitch so he's built his own team to fight the doom and he leads them in a book i call legion of doom thank you <laughs> thank you <laughs> thing is dream girl's team is way too visible the threats see it coming 
So he's the Black Ops version of the Dream Patrol. He's recruited his old girlfriend, which was Shrinking Violet, who has since come out of the closet as gay, but he's not over her, so drama. As well as colleagues from the Heroes of Lalor. Uh, we've got Evolvo Lad and Gas Girl, plus Legion Rejects, Antenna Boy, and this continuity's Gates would be in there. Plus a bootleg version of the of Computo, the ball-like Computo. <laughs> yep. So, so they're going up against more secretive villains like the Black Circle and Universo. But since Duplicate Boy doesn't have Dream Girl's powers anymore, unless he can get near her, I also want these guys to be screw-ups. Uh, so the tone I'm going for is Bwahaha Justice League, that kind of sitcom atmosphere. And I think this is a mix of characters that can definitely give us that. You know, maybe like the computer is kind of glitchy and, uh, and, and you know, they're, they're sort of all lovable losers and Duplicate Boy is pining for absolutely the wrong woman. You know, and Evolvo Lad have the time is, is a dumb caveman. And, you know, okay. So I'm doing it sitcom style. They still have to do like some proper missions against big threats. It's just they're in the shadow of the Dream Patrol. Nice. Let's change gears with Easy Company. So a series from the past, if that's mm. how you want to set it. It's the first of two war titles that are referenced in this issue. I call it Sergeant Rock and Easy Company. Uh, and I don't see why it should be anything but your classic World War II character-driven war stories with a stable of all and also a rotating cast of soldiers in the European theater. But the episodes going to fit inside a longer story. So you got some subplots that develop more slowly and you invest in the characters before they get their big moment. It's less like short stories in the way that the original comics were. There would be backups that would develop other World War II heroes who could show up in the main story eventually, even join Easy Company, uh, a bit like what they did with the new 52's All-Star Western. But for war characters, characters like Gravedigger, like the Unknown Soldier, like Mademoiselle Marie... Uh, I, I think would make or would be good fits. I'm not reinventing the wheel with Easy Company at all. What about you? Yeah, similar, similar to you, except I'm completely changing everything. So okay, <laughs> they're a male stripper troop basically, and uh, you know they have uh, sexy adventures as they travel around, and uh, you know they they fight a bit of crime, but uh, you know it's mostly you know it's it's the beefcake book for you know the people who want that, and uh, it's not Sergeant Rock. It's a guy called Rock. You know, they're sexy and, you know, they you see a lot of butts and stuff like that. So I thought something like that is, you know, it's lacking in the world today. But, uh, you know, and easy company, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, they're a bit like that. So I thought something like that. Magic Mike as superheroes. Yeah, basically. Low level crime fighting and mystery solving and that sort of thing. It's, you know, the Scooby-Doo, sexy do guys or something. Expect a lot of angry letters. <laughs> I don't, I don't think anyone holds this stuff in reverence or wants to see traditional Not takes. at all, yeah. no. <laughs> I do like it, by the way. I, I, I would, if I had more than $5, I would buy it. I figure I'm going to buy something else. Okay, so next up is Elastic Lad, or you could, you know, when I sent you the list, I said it could be like just Jimmy Olsen. There's a series that just ended for Jimmy Olsen. So yeah. uh, he's in... He's in the public eye. Are you uh, redefining him much? Uh, well, basically, I want to team him up with um, other Elastic characters. So I'd get rid of the Jimmy Olsen aspect and just make him... He's a kid that stretches. And, um, you know, if we look elsewhere in this book, we've sort of got a, a few more stretchy characters. And you can probably do something with them together. So maybe I'll sit on that for a few more... Um characters before we get to it all right <laughs> if you like in my case since i think there was a perfectly good jimmy olsen book recently bad fraction steve lieber i propose a title that's a lot like it though i i do call it all-star jimmy olsen i guess morrison's all-star superman also used jimmy this way uh, as a kind of i like the take on like the mr action premise from the 70s Jimmy's become one of the Daily Planet's moneymakers because he's been assigned to produce web content and newspapers are dying, folks. So he's a try guy, but in the DC universe. So when he says he'll try anything, it's exposing himself to strange radiations, meteors. Uh, he's asking the Flash to run him through a wall and he's taking the Zeta Beam to Ron. And it's Jimmy Olsen, so things go wrong, and he suffers weird transformations, and so on. And still, the greatest threat to his existence is Lucy Lane, his on-again, off-again girlfriend that he just can't seem to please. Silver Age shenanigans, but with a quirky modern lens. I am not reinventing him uh, much. <laughs> but then here's another elastic-ish character, Elastigirl. So I wonder if she's part of your Elastic Club. For me, 
I did say she was in the Doom Patrol, in the Golden Age Doom Patrol. So uh, this, these are ad- her adventures before she joined. The book is actually called Superstar, which is set in the Hollywood studio system of the 30s and 40s. And it reads like a well-researched tell-all with a dose of weirdness thrown in. Uh, the gases that gave Rita Farr her powers aren't in Africa. They were vented from somewhere under Werner Studios' lot itself. Oh. I just heard Blue Devils fans' ears perk up, or just shags. Um, <laughs> Werner being the, war- the, the warner of the DC Universe. And while she was granted size-changing powers, it's also causing other strange transformations around the lot, whether that's like a movie monster coming to life, or some producer communing with the dark forces under it, uh, you know, calling on Cthulhu or something. So Superstar tracks the sudden rise and slow decline of Hollywood's most infamous actress. And I don't know what the rights issues would be, but there's as much real Hollywood as we can put into it, uh, including real people. And especially if we can make Verners basically Warners, we can actually like tell those stories. You know, so this is all pre-Doom Patrol. In your case, is it even the Doom Patrol character? Uh, no, I just wanted to use the name because I think, uh, you know, you can have Rita Farr on the Doom Patrol and do what you like with her. She's quite a nuanced character. And, and I, you know, I've got several period pieces that, you know, I didn't want, really want to do another one. But I thought, okay, let's get all the um, Elastic characters together. So Elastic Lad, Elastic Girl and Elongated Man. We'll form them into a loose team. And basically what they have to do is uh, Batman and the entire Bat family have been murdered. So they go to Gotham to become the new heroes in Gotham. So, you know, it's a new sheriff in town with completely different light-hearted approach. So, uh, you know, Elastigirl would be the leader of the team and Elongated Man would be, you know, the the detective brains, but not the, the leader. He doesn't have the personality to lead. And Elastid Lad would be uh, reckless, but innovative and, um, you know, quite brilliant at times as far as... So the three of them rock up in Gotham, you know, it's complete chaos. The city is, you know, basically it's almost all no man's land, except, all, you know, there's no uh, rule of law. There's just villains everywhere and they're tidying the town up bit by bit. So um, I thought, you know, fish out of water, new approach. It's a bit like the locum thing again. I think I'm, I was tapping into the same vein when I came up with that. I just want to see different people doing Batman's role in different ways and a different approach. So, What's the team called? I don't know. The book could be called Stretch and Gotham or something <laughs> <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> okay, yeah, that works. We could call them the Elastics or yeah, things like that. So I'm not sure if it's brilliant, but it, it's interesting. Tell me about El Diablo. Is he crashing a restaurant anywhere soon or is, <laughs> is he the character or uh, does he yeah. have his own series well i was thinking l Earl. it's fairly similar so don and Earl are two friends they're living in a small you know western town you know on the outskirts nothing much happens there except a uh, villain comes into town who's also featured in this book and it's the earthworm and don and Earl must fight the earthworm in in this town and they have sort of wacky adventures the earthworm's very cunning and he's underground he yeah he, uh, he does you know underground evil and kills people and stuff like that but you know Don and Earl, um, Diablo and the Don, I think we'd call the book. Uh, they have to fight. That's one way I could go. The other way is um, we do like Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, except with um, these two characters. Guys who are trying to do the right thing in a, in a gritty, bad world where, you know, it's hard to do the right thing because you, can't, you don't get anywhere. So maybe we'll get Vince Gilligan to write that one as well. So For me, there are three Jekyll and Hyde characters in the issue. And two of them are heroes, and the other one is Eclipso, right? <laughs> so now, the, the way I'm seeing it is that Eclipso is obviously an agent of the Doom. He's had his own crossover series, The, the, the Darkness Within. Or, so, yes, he's part of the Doom. And uh, his first attempt at ending the world occurs in the 1880s, which forces the universe to create an opposing champion, which will be El Diablo. He's a man who is shot, hit by lightning, and drowned pretty much simultaneously. Uh, He's reanimated by the spirits of the land to fight on their behalf. So by day, Lazarus Lane uh, looks for signs of Eclipso's evil all over the frontier. The Black Diamond is originally in the possession of a rich oil baron, but the cursed thing passes into other hands for whatever, an infinite number of evil plots and opponents. By night, he's... El Diablo, glowing with flame, I think his horse glows as well, it's a bit like a Ghost Rider figure, uh, righting those wrongs and usually upsetting the apple cart enough that Lane 
can't ever settle down anywhere. So Lane's spirit can never rest is kind of the metaphor. But it is a like a supernatural Western series. Chronologically, the first book that is fighting the doom. Mm. And I promise I won't bring this up too often. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm lying. I'm looking at my notes. No, no, there's more doom to come. But uh, that's what I'm doing with El Diablo. Because speaking of which, next one up is Element Lad. And um, obviously the doom has something to do with the 31st century. Like this series would spin out of kind of the end of the Legion. And uh, it's all Dream Girl's fault. When she warned the Legion of the upcoming doom, Jen Era was among the believers. But his understanding of the universe being a place of constant and necessary change actually led him to embrace the doom. So the first instance of the cosmic apocalypse of the 31st century was kind of the, their version of the crisis on infinite Earth. And Jen went totally off book. He tried to use his powers to exit the multiverse and help shape it for the better. So he believes the doom will keep coming in some form or other because it's part of a natural process in the multiversal cycle. So you have to go through it and come out of it on the other side, the better for it. But Dream Girl's team stops the crisis from happening and it closed the door behind him. So spinning out of the of that event, this book is called Legionnaire Lost, like a sort of altered that IP, and it's about Element Lad moving from Earth to Earth and from Era to Era and facing various versions of the Doom while he's trying to get home. You know, maybe this is the book where we learn what the Doom is really about, or if there's something behind the Doom, or should we embrace it, or should we reject it and fight it? So this is going to be more of a, a little more philosophical in a way, but it's a tour of the multiverse, is basically what's happening for Element Lad. Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing that I had, except um, he goes back in time. I was thinking, what the name Element? I mean, it's about the you know, taking the pure versions of things and you know changing them to something else. So I, I thought he would be on a quest to find you know potential heroes and sort of shape them, basically trying to make people the best they can be. You know, in a world before superheroes, perhaps like before World War Two, etc. Bringing the hero out and people as he travels through time. But I think that's a pretty weak idea, and I, I wasn't very happy with it. I mean, Element Lad is one of those. He, he needs to be. In an ensemble and i i just without that i can't really and i really hate the fact that he's sort of the last survivor of uh, of his race but it, you know so but he's basically a victim of genocide but he it happened as he was an adult which i think is very different to when you do it with superman he's a problematic character for me i don't know really i don't have a take that i'm happy with yeah i mean maybe he influences elements and kettles or something i've got no idea <laughs> Uh, well, next up is Elongated Man. He gets his own entry. I mean, you, you've already have him in the Elastics or, you know, playing a part in that. But what more can we learn about this character? Mm, I, I think he's got some sort of addiction problems. I mean, yeah, right in the picture, you see him drinking Jingold and the thing. Okay, okay. Is he all lighthearted in that? And uh, I think the answer is yes, he is. But uh, he's the happy side of addiction. So, you know, it's not a, a conflict for him that he's, um, you know, he, he's using external substances to become what he is so yeah I, I mean he's been done well without sue i think if he has you know rita in the role of stretchy sue but she's you know smarter than him and more capable than him i think it it allows him to just be him it's more like a modern relationship where they you know he's not dragging someone along but you know someone makes him the better person for it you don't have ralph divney without uh, sue divney I don't think that works as well at all. Obviously, I don't agree with what happened to that, those characters in Identity Crisis, but I <laughs> can't pass up giving them a series called Ghost Detectives. Like I, That idea is too much fun and not exploited. Okay, so imagine those events did not in fact happen, but the Dibneys still died. You know, yep. Different circumstances, but the Dibneys still die, and now they're a fun, sexy couple in the afterlife. Unable to rest until they solve the mystery of their own deaths, but they're in no hurry to do so. <laughs> uh, they're still solving mysteries all over the world. I like them as globetrotters. It's almost more of a matter of how they communicate the solutions to people in the world of the living. So Ralph's ectoplasm can still stretch. We get that visual. I guess it would mean he can just about extend into our world by bending sideways. He, like he can move objects like a poltergeist. Meanwhile, Sue is more adept at talking to mediums and people with latent psychic ability. So she's whispering sweet nothings into sleeping policemen's ears. And a lot of the mysteries are just going to impact 
really the, the spiritual world anyway, like helping ghosts finally move on by seeing their murderers punished, that kind of thing. And that's what I'm doing with the Dibneys. I'm, I'm calling it Ghost Detectives. That way, it, I've already got Elastic Girl, so I've done away with Elastic Lad or Boy, or yeah, Elastic Lad, uh, by making him Jimmy Olsen. I've done away with Elongated Man, just like to make more variety for the line. I like it. Here's the monster, Elu, <laughs> of the Omega Men. Okay, so I know you struggled with this. Here's where I show my power. I picked oh. up on the fact that the the people of the planet Rogue are very shy and are essentially inside an opaque force field. They're just like hidden. We don't know what they look like. And I'm calling this series Illuminati, right? Yeah. With an E. So this is a series set in what you know we commonly call the cosmic level, cosmic playing field, featuring characters pulled from Omega Man, Rand Thanagar, Acronym Legion, Green Lantern, those families of books, working together as a team to uncover... Just who is manipulating events in interstellar-aware space? But the book is narrated by Elu uh, to his equally inscrutable counsel, showing the conspiracy is many steps ahead of our heroes. So this is a series where anything can happen because it's so divorced from the rest of the DCU, uh, including the possibility of the investigating heroes joining the conspiracy or already being part of it or splitting into factions and fighting each other. So... The members of my cast would include, I guess, my favorite space heroes, Vril Dox, of course, Hawkworld's Shaira Thal, uh, the Green Man, Vartox. And then it might be fun to make something out of forgotten space heroes like Manhunter 2070 or Space Cabby or Gem Son of Saturn or a member of the Vanguard even. Or I guess if Rob Kelly's involved somehow, Ultra the Multi-Alien. But <laughs> And maybe one of them is Elu. We don't know because everybody's behind those force fields. Uh, it would be like a conspiracy thriller in space. All based on a pun. Yeah, with the title character being the least uh, interesting in the entire book. <laughs> he's more like a narrator. Yeah, we just don't know who he is. But because he's the narrator, it's his series, you know? It's... So I know you struggled. Yeah, I mean, my first note was a sentient blob of energy who talks like Michael Caine. All right, let's see. He's a sentient blob of energy. Effectively, no one can do anything to him or hurt him or anything. So let's say he just drifted down to Earth and uh, basically he can go anywhere, um, be anywhere and hear anything. And then he can relay information back to other people. So I think he would basically, um, if he has a good heart, let's say that he does, he would basically hassle evil people or, you know, people who are doing villainous things and basically hang around them and piss them off. Just by, you know, listening in on all their plans. And, you know, they might try and, you know, fool him by giving him false information and he might use the false information to uh, give other people false information. But, you know, if you could go anywhere, like there were no barriers, where would you go in the world? Would you, you know, would you go into the president's office and listen to what's happening or would you, you know go anywhere in the world and basically seek out atrocities and, you know, try and alert people to that sort of stuff. So he would he's basically passive but informational and, you know, telling people what they should do, what he thinks they should do, and trying to find people who will work with him as agents. Also, just keeping an eye on evil, basically, in the world. And, you know, so maybe he needs, uh, you know, he might feed this information to, uh, you know, a roving group of strippers, um, you know, called Easy Company. And they would, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, or he might be telling the Elastics about it. I see him as sort of, uh, he's an information broker who wants the world to be better and really wants to make, you know, real change. And uh, I don't know where that sort of frustration is coming from in my life that I feel like that's important now. But uh, like he's Oracle in a way. In his own series, it almost becomes a kind of team-up title where he's activating different agents. And, uh, you know, the frustrating thing is no one can touch him. So, you know, there's no doors barred to him. So, But he always looks like a blob of energy. Like, he, there's nothing stealthy about him because he's always glowing. <laughs> but, he, yeah, and he talks like Michael Caine, I think. That would just... Hello. <laughs> like a big cockney. Next up is... Another hero who some might some might say is a villain, I guess, is Enemy Ace. Like Easy Company, I feel like this should be a traditional war book set in the world of World War I aviation. But I also really like what later writers did, moving in past the First Great War, getting into adventures in China in the 1920s, or being convinced to fight in World War II and getting more and more disillusioned with his country. So I think this should be a mishmash, actually. A bit like your Doom Patrol legends, like an out-of-order chapters of his memoir. Each arc 
and one off potentially by a different artist or even a different writer, building the tapestry of Von Hammer's life. How did he learn to fly? What happens when he finds out about concentration camps? Uh, what dark brooding stories can he get up to while delivering mail between wars? Might he have a descendant in the modern era or, you know, flying fighter craft in space? So the only real constant for me would be the atmosphere. War is hell and having a lot of aerial action. But I, I don't want to tell a continuous story of this character in World War I. So I'm just, I'm opening it up and making it different from Easy Company is really what I was doing. But in your case, Easy Company was not a war book. Uh, is Enemy Ace a war book? <laughs> yeah, actually, this is the one that I don't think it's broke, so I don't want to fiddle with it. Like, uh, yeah, I think similar, uh, very similar to you is that I wanted to see Enemy Ace in different theaters of war. And, you know, what are the ethical implications of being an honorable man in different you know, situation. So what would it be like to be in Vietnam if you're enemy ace? And, you know, perhaps there's some sort of, you know, the video game 1941 where you complete one level and you go forward in time and you just keep doing that. You know, I thought we could just keep pushing him forward in time. But, you know, tell real and, I guess, sensitive stories about different wars and what was going on and, you know, where the good is, you know, it's very hard to see where the good is and what's right and wrong, etc. when, you know, you might be fighting, people are fighting for their lives, but, you know, is the war just? Are they are they in the right situation? Should they be there, etc.? So there's all sorts of moral quandaries, but I, I think it needs to be written by someone who really understands, you know, the history of conflict in the world and, uh, you know, use it to tell very interesting stories with just, you know, the main thread being the character moving through different locations and the horrors that he sees. And it's a really interesting twist that he's a German character when you, you, know, you look at the history of um, the German race in the 20th, 20th century. It's There's so much meat there on the bone, I guess. But yeah, like, I, you know, what is his reaction to concentration camps? What's he going to do when he discovers that sort of thing? Where was he in the last days of the Third Reich? You know, it's interesting stuff, but I, I think... You know, if it's not done by someone who doesn't know this stuff back and forwards, then it's it's going to be trite. And, I, you know, you don't want this to be trite or, you know, superficial. No, I agree. Last page of the book, <laughs> our last hero, Fastback of the Zoo Crew. So this is another one. It's like whenever we do like Omega Men or, or Legionnaires, it's like they're so tied to that team, you know, that it, it becomes like a more of a puzzle. Uh, and I think the same is true of Zoo Crew. Where do you go with Fastback? Does the Z crew even exist? Yeah, well, I think you've got to use the zoo crew, but I, I turtles with powers, it's really hard to get past the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. <laughs> Visually, this character, I, I don't like the look of him. You know, I, I get, you know, he's a turtle and he runs fast, and that's interesting because it's, it's, it's so uh, contradictory. But I think I just want zoo crew adventures, but just have a few more stakes for them. So. You know, they can be a super team fighting other super teams, but they need to have, you know, it needs to matter and not just be lighthearted goofiness. And, you know, I don't mean, you know, we're going to kill all the characters and things like that, but just have some stakes and, you know, have a status quo that isn't set. So my first note for Fastback, that he can use super speed, but only when he runs backwards. And then I, I immediately discard that because I didn't think it, it was very good. But, uh, you know, yeah, I... Um, I <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I have any strong suits with telling stories, etc. But, you know, this definitely isn't one of them. So <laughs> what have you got? If Timmy Joe Terrapin is to have his own solo series, because obviously I'm going to do each of these and I don't want to do like a Zucru series every few issues. So I want him to have a solo series. Uh, so the covers are going to be by Kevin Eastman. Let's do yep. it. And so to, to match that, I want the series to have a a bit of that dark, angry streak that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, so everything about Timmy Joe screams redneck. So, okay, I want Fastback to race into Slaughter Swamp, which would be the bad part of town as opposed to the gentrified Okie Swamp, uh, <laughs> and kick some alligator ass. Uh, Flash-level action in a southern gothic environment, and because it stars funny animals on Earthsea, there would be a satirical streak as well like lampooning good old boys and reptile supremacy and make Earth see great again, uh, anti-science, because <laughs> we can do fastback facts. That's hard to yeah. say, but fastback fact, just like The Flash, uh, and that whole culture. But between the two swamps, the inequity that drives it. My stakes are social, let's say. It, it, it's actually telling something about the real world. So Howard the Duck's political stories meet 
the old black and white Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with a bit of, this may not translate, but Trailer Park Boys. That's kind of my mix for Fastback, and I think I can make him a solo star. Which leaves us with the bonus book. And the bonus book can usually be a villain or whatever. In my case, Enchantress. And I wasn't sure if I was going to include Enchantress because I know her as sort of a villainous figure in Suicide Squad. But she did start out, her original stories were her having this alternate identity, but June Moon is a good person. I mean, this is the other one. This is the other El Diablo. So, um, Eclipso's Black Diamond seemed to have been lost at the turn of the century, but now it's back. You know, it's the sequel. The spirits of the land need a new champion, and that champion is going to be June Moon. But the land in 1880 and in 2020 are two very different things. El Diablo's magic was, like, more nature-based and uh, and based on Lane's idea of hell. Now nature is polluted, June is a city dweller, and she has like complicated modern ideas of what constitutes hell. So consequently, I want the magic here to be inspired by the role-playing game Unknown Armies, if anyone out there knows it. So I'm not saying she has to use pornomancy or anything, but yes, I'm sort of saying that. You know, what are the modern obsessions and addictions? It's stuff like... Like she's buying an entire run of Rom Space Knight at the comic store and consulting them like it's a crystal ball. Or shooting up with heroin to send lashes of drowsy euphoria at opponents. Or making violent video game avatars real. You know, that kind of stuff. And uh, the nature magic is polluted. So it's like throwing up walls of smog and disappearing dark alleys and appearing into similar alleys miles away. You know, dark urban fantasy stuff. And she's fighting the forces of Eclipso, who's back in the contemporary era. So this is my partner book to El Diablo. Did you find something? Yeah, I did. I, I, I sort of thought about Dr. Psycho and sort of, I guess it's an old idea. And I think we should basically rally against it that physical deformity means evil. You know, he's a little guy with a big head. What if he was good? I mean, what if he had some sort of brain aneurysm when he was using his powers and it sort of uh, did a sort of regarding Henry to him and he you know, became a good guy, but not, a, you know, a simpleton. But, you know, it, it suddenly the part of his uh, mind that was driven to do evil things was, was sort of flipped. What if he wanted to be a hero? Would he be accepted as a, a little guy? I just wanted to move things past that. So, I mean, what if he had the goals? He wanted to be a DJ or something like that. <laughs> but supervillains still want to recruit him, but he wants no part of it. You know, does he use that to um, sabotage their plans? Not being accepted by either community anymore, perhaps something like that. But, you know, I think it's a really, you know, your life shouldn't be dictated by the way you look. And I think too many villains are ugly, and that's why they're villains, if you know what I mean. Sure. I mean, some of them, it's in, built in in the origin. Had no success in love, turned to crime. Uh, so <laughs> we had a conversation before, and you mentioned that you might use Dr. Psycho, and then I thought, oh, yeah. Uh, for a while, I was thinking that my contemporary Doom Patrol would really have been like the Doom Patrol as a support group. <laughs> you know, and then Dr. Psycho could have been their therapist. Oh, wow. So I yeah. was thinking, I had that in, like, after you mentioned Dr. Psycho, I said, oh, that's, I sort of had that idea. Then I moved away from, from that idea for the Doom Patrol when I thought of, of the Doom. Then I didn't need Dr. Psycho anymore. And I thought, well, anyways, Paul's going to mention him as a, as a solo <laughs> star. So it all worked out. So finally, if we follow the tradition started by the irredeemable Shag back in episode three, we have oh. only enough money to buy one series from the other guy's line. Which one will it be? Paul, spend it. <laughs> I want to buy your um, Don Caballero or Don Caballero book. Because, uh, yeah, you went hard Zorro on that. And I think that's, a, you know, and a, as a period piece, the Spanish aspect of it and really leaning into that and, you know, making it exciting and modern and clean and all that sort of stuff. It sounds very appealing. I'd like to spend my money on that book. And you can be sure it's not going to tie into anything else. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you never have to buy any, maybe El Diablo, I guess, maybe. In my case, I will spend my, um, my five Canadian dollars on Duplicate Boy Super Temp. I think that's a great idea and a way to visit the DC universe, you know, from arc to arc and visit the different, like, cities and the different sort of villains. And I like that he would have all the powers of the hero you know, but know nothing about the threats. Yeah. Cocking it up all the time. So that is definitely, like, the series that, that has my sensibility. For sure. <laughs> well, dear listeners, it's time to go to fireandwaterpodcast.com and tell us what you think. Would you read any of these books? 
If you were in charge, what series would you offer these characters? If you like this content, think about visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. I hope you had fun, Paul. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit of terror and a bit of fun. So, yeah. yeah I would have thought you'd picked Easy Company, though. <laughs> I almost did. I have to say, I almost did. <laughs> Tell us where uh, people can hear more from your uh, podcastery. Yeah, well, I do uh, Waiting for the End of the Doom Patrol podcast. For, yeah, still doing it at the moment, technically, but we've almost covered every single thing that exists for the Doom Patrol until there's a wow. season three or a new, new book, which puts us back into the waiting for Doom area, which is quite comfortable and familiar for us. I do DC OCD, which is about every single DC event where um, I rather foolishly get people to uh, rate and score and rank all the events in order, and we get some very uh, surprising results in the, the rankings, and uh, we offend people by, you know, Beloved events don't come as high as some people think they ought to. And I also do The Gary Show, which is just me and my podcasting friend, Mike. And we just talk about stuff. Just uh, real stuff. Awesome. Well, then, until next time, who's editing? We, we are. had started out at DC as the world's strangest superheroes and it was more a case of just thinking what is currently strange that I can expose these characters to and for me what was strange was just all the new stuff that I was getting into which was like situationism and surrealism and dada.